Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. That's right. Well, uh, we'll give you all a moment to, to run out. You don't want to be. Uh, you don't want to be hearing me. Despite Jeremy saying I was cool earlier, very quickly that's going to become undone. You're, uh, you're about to see why. So, uh, yeah, not missold. Uh, I think that's going to have been. Right, so we're in third week. I was in, um, I was in America for the first, uh, first week. Sounds glamorous, doesn't it, going to America for, for Christmas? Less glamorous when your in-laws give you COVID and you're there stuck in their house for 10 days. Do you know what's worse than being ill in your own house? Being ill in somebody else's house, isn't it? Definitely worse. <laughs> Definitely worse. Uh, if if my in-laws are very lovely, I'd have rather not been in their house and ill. I think that's fair. I'm, here. I'm in dicey ground that I'm moving on. And so anyway, so I wasn't here. Uh, and then I went to the glamorous Grimsby last week. So I've missed the first two weeks of this. But uh, this is our This Is Us series. Now, you may have watched the TV show This Is Us. And now, as I'm preaching on generosity... Uh, I have to be kind with what I'm about to say about it. It is not my favorite show. That's about as good as I'll stick with. That's about as uh, Lindsay Della loved it. Uh, she watched it all. I was less convinced. Uh, and it's weird that we do that with our TV shows and movies that somebody else thinks is good. We can go, oh, man, you like that. That's rubbish, isn't it? And we can really be quite super competitive. Like, I can't believe you like that. But now, in this room, we're going to have a, a couple of minutes of generous honesty where you can be honest about the films and TV shows that you know aren't very good, but you really just love them. They're not going to win an Oscar, but you just love them. And so, for example, here's one of mine. The, uh, well, straight back. Oh, hello. It was one of mine, but we got rapid fire. And so uh, there we go. Here comes the boom. It is uh, what can only be described as quite a poor movie that I very much love. And so when I was ill and had COVID, I just wanted to watch This Is Here Comes the Boom. Lindsay came in and was like, what are you watching? I was like, it just makes me feel better. Be quiet. And so we did this in my student life group. We like, come on, give us a film that you know isn't very good, but it makes you happy. It makes you feel good. Some of you, it might be action movies like The Fast and the Furious or any movie that Gerard Butler is in, which is objectively not very good, but quite enjoyable sometimes. So this is your moment to turn to your neighbor. You've got about 30 seconds and be open and be honest. And they are not allowed to criticize your choice. Okay. They have to say, Oh, I'm glad that makes you feel good. So be honest about a movie you know isn't very good, but you just like it. Come on, this is your moment of honesty. Okay, um, right, now I'm going to, uh, I am going to take a few, and I'm not going to judge your choices, I'm just going to say that is a wonderful choice. Libby, is there a movie that you know is objectively not very good, but you just love it? Br- what movies? Barbie movies, I'm very glad you like Barbie movies. See how difficult this is, anybody else has got one, really going to try me out here? 
Mrs. Doubtfire, that is an excellent choice. Well, I'm glad you like Mrs. Doubtfire. I think that's actually quite a good movie. I think that's, that's a higher quality than uh, some we're about to see. So we were doing this in a student life group, and one of the students thinks he's quite cool. It's for, like, college and university students. And he was like, the thing is, I only like cool movies. I only like movies like, you know, The Godfather and Shawshank. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course you do, of course you do. And then he would not give us one, and then on his way home, he texted me these two. And so uh, he, like, he said, I'll be honest, I like Moana and I like Mamma Mia. That's right. He was so embarrassed that we would be like, oh, man, you know, we would judge you, Josh Williams. And so, uh, so... But, yeah, it was a place of honesty. One of our guys was not as ashamed, and he happily said, I like the time travel love movie about time. I quite like how to lose a guy in 10 days. That's not cool, is it? There's nothing cool about that. But in case you're thinking Lindsay's going to escape from this, uh, she likes Star Wars Episode One. Uh, and I'm glad that you like that. That's very good. Uh, we're going to move on quickly. And so... Sometimes in life, we get super competitive about everything. Like whether you like sports, that's good to be competitive about. But we can apply it to reasonably meaningless things like movies. And like, oh, man, I think my movie taste is better than yours. I think my music taste is better than yours. I can't believe you're kind of into that. And we're going to look at generosity, which is really very opposite to this competitive nature of, man, I hope the stuff I have is more than you or better than you or above you. Generosity saying, hey, you are not below me in any way. And what I have, I'm willing to share with the people around me. And I'm not a big one for uh, definitions and dictionary definitions when I preach. But generosity, the definition of being generous, is an excellent definition. And we're going to come back to this again and again because really it shows exactly what Jesus was like. And it shows really how I think he would call us to be. And to be generous is a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. To give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. And that is generous. That is not just kind of going, what do I have to do? It's a mentality that says, right, what can I give that's out of my heart? What can I give that's within me? And so we're going to look at this in three areas. And these three areas represent the things that are basically always in my pocket. Now, some of you carry around bags with you, and I have no idea what you bring with you. I know some of you have got loads of things. If I was to poll the room and say, right, what have you got on you? Some of you would have a whole bunch of weird and wonderful stuff. Some of you uh, maybe are married to hungry people and bring snacks, and that's very smart <laughs> just to keep them happy. But I only have three things. I have a wallet on me at all times. I have my uh, keys on me at all times. And unsurprisingly, I have a phone on me at all times. That is it. That is a, maybe sometimes I might have some mints or, or something else. But that is really the three things that are wherever I go, they are always with me. And that is going to be really representing so many elements of kind of our life. The things that we carry with us, the things that kind of represent almost who we are and what we can do. And we're going to look at how we can be generous with those three elements, looking at a character called Barnabas. And so we're going to look at our wallets in terms of the the kind of way we spend our resources and the way we are generous with the things that we have. We look at our keys in terms of this is kind of where I would go and it's how I would invite people into my life and into my home and where am I willing to go for people. And then the phone is going to be about our words and how we're willing to use those words and be generous with those. And because it's a, 
a kind of core values series that we're talking about. I am allowed to preach on a guy that I've probably preached on in Life Church maybe seven or eight times. Not as much as Lucas has tried to preach on Gideon, let me tell you that. Uh, Luca, every time we do a preaching series and we go, what should we do a new thing on? It's, it's only two ideas away from Lucas going, should we do a series on Gideon? I'm like, no, we can't do a series on Gideon. And if you say no, he'll say Nehemiah. And so we really have to watch him. Uh, we're like, honestly, I reckon we've done Nehemiah more than even Nehemiah's family talked about him. I'm telling you, all the time. And so I'm, I'm going to preach on Barnabas because this is something that's really challenged me in the Bible over and over again. So the first thing we're going to look at is our money. A really contentious one when we're talking about being generous because you think, oh man, you're just going to ask for more of our money. And again, I just want to remind you of the, the kind of definition. It's a readiness to give more of something that's strictly necessary or expected. That's why Jesus never talks about 10% because he doesn't want to make it a rule. He doesn't want to say, right, you should do this. He wants us to be people who are generous. He doesn't want to be people who feel, oh man, I feel compelled, right? I feel guilty now, I should. That is miles away from what we're looking at. Here. So I'm going to read some verses from Acts 4 that are going to come up. Uh, they are lovely stuff. So Acts 4, verses um, 32 to 37. Uh, and this is the first time we see this guy called Barnabas. And Barnabas is a guy in the early church. He's not one of Jesus' disciples in terms of the 12, but he's a really kind of key member of the church as it's starting to form after Jesus has gone back to heaven. And as the church starts to kind of come together and think, what are we going to look like as the body of Christ in our world, Barnabas is there in amongst them. And so in Acts 4, 32 to 37, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so this kind of church, what they did was they didn't want to set up this kind of uh, rival to the Roman Empire. They didn't want to say, right, if we pull all our money... Maybe we can take on Rome. Maybe we can get enough equipment and enough gear and we can take them down. That is so miles away from the church that Jesus created. It said they put their money together and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Rather than using it to kind of gain influence and power, they used it to distribute to those who had need. And Barnabas, the first time we see him, he's in. He gives his property and he puts it at the apostles' feet. Now, years ago, I used to live with Dave Aikerman. Has Dave Aikerman been here yet? Did he? No, he's coming. In a, you'll see him. He's coming. Uh, he's, he's, I've seen the list. Uh, he's one of the traveling preachers that's going to come around at some point. Uh, I know you probably get used to getting better people than me and Dave at Cinnamon Brow, but just for a couple of weeks, you'll have to bear in mind that's going to happen. But I used to live with Dave Aikerman before uh, I married Lindsay. She's a better housemate than Dave, let me tell you that, in many ways. Uh, but when I lived with Dave, I said, Dave, I know you work for a church. I would like to pay for Sky Sports and we can have it in the house. It's not a selfless act. I wanted to watch Sky Sports. I just wanted to let him know that I didn't expect him to pay. And he said, oh, that's very generous. I've also brought something. And he opened up a box with loads of vases of dried flowers. So, Dave, you have misunderstood what I want out of this house. I, is, uh, I mean, I, I see your heart is good. I don't want vases of dried flowers everywhere, but fine, if that's what you want to do. We don't even have them now. 
Uh, like, and so, yeah, Dave misjudged. So when he comes, just if you could put some vases of flowers around him when he comes, he'll appreciate that. He'll feel that very nice. But Barnabas isn't doing this, and the church aren't doing this to get position. Like, in the world, we use our money. There's stories in the press, literally at the moment, about politicians who have either used their wealth to gain position or are kind of doing things to get themselves richer. And that is a story as old as time. You know, of course it is. In the biblical times, you see all kinds of people giving their money so that they can get power, so that they can get influence. Barnabas doesn't do it so that they'd make him important. And he doesn't lie and say, give me a seat at the table. There are two other people who actually give some of their money. And they do get, they sell a property and give some of their money and then they say to the apostles, this is everything we got for this land, even though it's not. And the apostles are like, is it really? And they're like, yeah, 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 it's everything. Really representing that they're generous. And those people die. Yeah. It's quite intense. Yeah. And there's no place, I think, in the early church for saying, right, we cannot have people who get top seat tables because they've bought their way in. We cannot have that level of corruption in the early church. You know, we don't want to be that kind of church. We protect our leaders from seeing who gives anything through the bank. Because I don't want people like Lucas and Nick and all the other leaders to treat people differently based on what they see in the bank. That is not the kind of church that we want to be. We want to say, look, it does not matter who gives the most. They don't get special privilege. We want to be a church that's generous. Yeah. And when that money comes in, we don't want to be a church that says to Warrington Council, if we do this for you, if we spend this money, what are you going to do for us? That's not generosity. That's looking at what we can get from this. And that is the opposite. Generosity is just giving it away and giving more than we have. And uh, it's very difficult for me to say this. I am an accountant. But when we're looking at generosity, it's not a balance sheet. It's not about balancing the books. It's not about saying, if I invest my money in this, is it going to be worth it? And that's the challenge. Because generosity doesn't worry about if it's worth it. I've lived a life that, uh, believe it or not, and I know I don't look it, but I am 40 now, and you're right, I do look younger, thank you very much, very kind of you to say so, and so, but like, after a while, that natural thing comes, we think, oh man, um, is it worth it if I spend this, or if I spend my time on this, is it going to be worth my while, and that selfish element comes at us again and again, and what we need is we need the Holy Spirit to challenge us and refresh us so that we can live lives the way that God would have us live lives. Yeah. Because otherwise, we'll have this element of the world of saying, man, this might be a waste, or this might not be worth my time, or what if these people aren't worth it? Well, that's so opposite to the way Jesus was. And as Life Church, we don't live uh, our finances as good accountants sometimes, which is terrifying, because I did the accounts for many years. And we budget our money well as a charity to not be reckless, but every year we say, God, what do you want us to do and actually, that predict, we predict to spend a lot more money than we get in every year. And what's happened is we've always had enough. Because if God's called us to do it, we trust that there will be enough. Amen. You know, and so there are so many times way back in the day where I'd turn to another leader and I'd say, you need to know next month we're out of money. That's it, we're out of money next month. And yet, then enough money came in. And then enough money came in. Again and again. And God has proved himself, not that he needed to prove himself, but God has shown that he is faithful so that we can trust yeah. him in what we have. Yeah. And uh, yes, there's a verse in Proverbs which is good, but I think sometimes we can use this in an unhealthy way. And in Proverbs 11:25 says, A generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's great and it's very true. But there's a dangerous way to read verses like this, which is, 
Right, well, the Bible tells me if I'm generous, I'll prosper. So I'm going to be generous so that, and that is a dangerous thing because we turn it into a bit of an equation where we go, right, well, if I'm generous, I'll prosper. Well, actually, we're probably not generous because we're thinking about what we can get back from that. And it's so natural to do, and I've probably done it hundreds of times going, well, I'll do this because it'll probably come back to me. Actually, if you think about all the things that Jesus poured out to people and what he received back from people, it was very imbalanced. The amount of times that he was loving people, the amount of times he gave to people and he sacrificed his time for people. And what did they give him back? Not really anything that was going to become anywhere close. And that's even before he gave his life, things that we could never repay. And so Lucas in week one talked about Zacchaeus in week one of the whole of Life Church years and years ago. He said there was a guy called Zacchaeus whose life was transformed by Jesus. And as a result of that, this guy was wealthy, had made his money by ripping people off. He said, I'm going to repay all of the stuff that uh, I've done four times, all the stuff that I've robbed people. I'm going to pay him four times as much. I'm going to give half of my money away because he was just transformed. And Lucas said at the front of church, we want to be a church that does that kind of thing with our money because we want to be transformed people. We don't want to do it as a rule. We want to say, if God's called us to be so different to the world, that's got to be reflected in the way that we are within our finances. And when we do that with our money, we show it has no hold over us. We show, look, we're not afraid. And I know money is is scary and it's difficult and things are really tough. I understand that. And I'm not here saying we need to give more money away and do all this kind of stuff. We know it's difficult. But if you're thinking, man, I want to be more generous, but I'm scared, then that's something we're going to pray about later on because it is terrifying and it is scary. I understand that. And it's not about the amount. Jesus is very clear when he tells that story of the widow who gave the tiniest amount of money. And he said, she gave so much more than all these rich people. And so we understand that it's based on your circumstances and your heart. And generosity looks so different. I have two people that gave me things when I was young. Uh, Somebody gave me a mobile phone. When I went to university, believe it or not, young people, in my second year of university, I still didn't have a phone. I was 19, and I didn't have a mobile phone. And that's not because I'm uncool. It's because I couldn't afford one. We just didn't have enough money. And somebody in the church said, you haven't got a phone, have you? I said, no, I haven't got a phone, but it's okay. And they said, we'd like to pay for you to have a mobile phone contract for the last two years of your university. Just Just a family in a church, not related to me, They just said, we just want to do this for two years for you. So you can have a mobile phone, and then obviously when you graduate and you get a job, get your own phone. Uh, They said it nicer than that. But like, you know, they just said, that's what we want. It wasn't fancy. It would have been able to play Snake. That's what it would have been able to do. And so I got this phone, and I was like, man, why would they do that for me? And, you know, to them, it probably wasn't a huge amount of money. To me, it meant everything. Because all of a sudden, I could fit in with some other people I just couldn't do and get myself. Another time, a friend of mine, uh, my car broke. Uh, it was a real bad car anyway, but my car broke, and he had this car which very much looked like that. It had four gears. And I'm not talking about 1974. I'm talking, you know, we're in 2000 or something. He had a yellow car like that that had four gears. I mean, I, I don't even know if that's possible. But my car broke down, and I needed to get to a lot of meetings that week, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And he said, you know what? I probably don't need my car as much this week. You can just have it. And he just gave me his car. And so I had to drive to Manchester all the time in his car. And in that four-gear car, it didn't really last much longer after I drove it. I think I might have damaged it. So I think I drove it too quick in, gear, in the fourth gear. It only lasted about a month afterwards, and I felt quite guilty. But he gave me his car, and I was like, man, he doesn't have a lot, but he just said, you need it more than me. And he just let me use it. And I was like, man. And it just stuck with me that why would you do that 
other than because he loved me. And that was it. That's all he did it for. And so we, we need to be generous with the, the, our money, our wallets, the things we have. Secondly, we need to be generous uh, with our time. And this is the one I don't want to talk about because this is hard for me. Right? This is difficult. Remember, uh, being generous is giving more than is strictly necessary or expected. So where do I go the extra mile for people? Where do I go for people? How much do I open my life up to people? The next passage we see uh, with Barnabas that I'm looking at is Acts 11, 19 to 27. Uh, and it says, uh, this is a bit later on, the church has been scattered. Uh, there's been some persecution and everyone's been str- spread out of Jerusalem at this point. And they've been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. And they've traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the world among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain uh, true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. They were called Christians first at Antioch. So the thing that is so easy to miss there is just in that last sentence. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met. He's living his life in Jerusalem. That's where he lives. And they say, oh man, can you just go and encourage them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he sees them and he stays for a year. Uh, That is massively inconvenient. That is not in his plan. But that is a guy who says, you know what? These people, there's something I can do and I'm going to give my time. I'm going to be stirred and respond to the Holy Spirit and I'm going to hear what God wants me to do and I'm going to give my time. Time is precious. We know that. We see that in football uh, many times. Um, so sometimes when your team are a goal down, which, believe it or not, does happen quite regularly with Grimsby. And so uh, you, get, you see that board and you think, oh, man, we've only got a certain amount of time to come back into the game. Now, last time Grimsby played, we lost 5-0. So what we were really hoping that board said was zero. Let's just go home. Let's just, let's, we don't want any extra minutes. It's embarrassing. Can we just go home? But when, when it's kind of close... And you're just behind, you think, oh man, just two minutes, that's all we've got left. And you know, we find that in our lives sometimes, that we think, oh, but I just don't have enough. I've just got a limited amount of time to get done all the things that I need to do this week. And that is so easy uh, to feel that way. In 2018, there was a text that went to uh, Hawaii, some residents of Hawaii. And it was this text here. Um, and uh, imagine getting this text. This went to all residents from the U.S. emergency sort of system. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. I think that's the last, that last sentence is the scary one there, isn't it? This is not a drill. Imagine getting that. I mean, you just get that phone. 38 minutes they had that message before another message came out saying, yep, that was a mistake. Imagine what you would have felt in those few people speaking. To, did you get a message? Yeah, I did get what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? So you'd immediately panic. You'd immediately try to find shelter. And then you'd probably be thinking, man, what, what have I done with my time? You know, like, I've only got 38 minutes. I'd ring, I'm going to ring the people that matter. I'm going to tell them I love them. You know, and we know that we don't get time like that. We don't, no one's going to say to us, seriously, Dad, you've got two years left. That's all you've got. No one's going to tell me that. Like, my dad passed away last year, nearly a year ago now, and we knew it was close. 
And so we took every opportunity to speak to him, to go to see him, to ring him. And it was difficult because you kind of think, oh, man, I want to say all the things that I want to say. But he's a northern man, and I'm a northern man. Quite hard to ring your dad and say, oh, dad, I love you. It's not natural. But we know we want to do those things in the last bit of time that we have. But we don't always get told this is the last bit of time. Yeah. We think, oh, I think, I'd say it to Lindsay often, I'm going to live to 104. Yeah, she can live to 100, uh, and then she'll go first, and then two weeks later, uh, I'll get the admin done, and then I'll join her. That's the plan, and uh, that is it. That's what we're going to get. And so she seems to think that I can't commit to that, but I'm just saying that is the plan. But, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, and what happens is week to week, things get so, so busy. But one of the most generous things we can do is open up our lives to people. We might not have a lot of money. Most of us are not mega rich. We're not going to be mega rich. But we have the opportunity to open up our lives to other people. And I know that there's so much pressure in our time and different lives. But I've done the maths for you. There are 168 hours in a week. And I don't know who you are, but you don't get any more or any less. That's the deal. Now, I'm going to get 168 hours this week. So are you. Now, the pressures on us are very different. I understand that. And the margin that we have might be very different. But is there a margin that you can create this week that just says, you know what, there are people around me that need a bit of my time or that deserve a bit of my time or that actually it would just be good to show them some time on? Can I create some margin? Now, for you, that margin might be four hours. It might be half an hour. But can I be generous enough to give them just a little bit of what I've got that's above and beyond the committed meetings that I've got. I could point to the fact that we do youth on a Friday, we do life groups on a Tuesday, we do church on a Sunday. I think, well, we give our time. But again, the definition is giving more than is strictly necessary or expected. What is it that people need from me? You know, when I was uh, young growing up in the church, like, I would hear all the stuff about Jesus loves you, and I would hear that, but then I would also hear messages our youth group would go to a Friday to, every, to different houses every Friday. We didn't have a building. So we would one week do something in someone's house, then another member of family's house in a church and so on. And it was fine, but every now and then you'd get to a, a family that were a bit stressed. And I remember being at one person's house, and at the start of the night they said, right, just to let you know, this is our house, this is our home, we expect you to look after it and be kind about it. And then they looked me in the eye and say, so Adam... Because uh, they called me Adam because people in Grimsby didn't like me. And so uh, she said, so Adam, we don't want you to go through our cupboards. We don't want you to go into our bedrooms. So what do you think I am? Some kind of, didn't say it to the group. They just looked me in the eye and said, we don't want you to do that. You know, I sat there and then they started a Bible study. And I was like, I don't care what you're going to say. Uh, I want to leave. Do you know what I want? I don't want to be here. You don't want me to be here. I don't want to be here. And that's how I felt about church a lot of the time, thinking, you say the words... You absolutely want nothing to do with me. Let me tell you, there was a guy that came to my church when I was 15. He was an American guy. So he, who knew that, there were, that, I, that Americans were good before I met Lindsay? I mean, I knew Americans were good. That was a bad statement. Move on. And so, um, so anyway, so this American guy, he was different. He told me that Jesus loved me. But then he would have all the, the guys from our church who said, do you want to come to my house on Saturday? And so we'd go around his house, his wife would make Rice Krispie treats. I didn't even know what they were, but then I ate 100 of them, and they're incredible. And we would watch NBA basketball in his house, and he'd just have us there. He did tell us he was like an expert at risk, and he was going to say, oh yeah, we'll play risk, and I'll beat you all. 
And because we're terrible teenage boys, we said, well, he's not going to beat us. So three of us just said, right, on our first goes, we're just all going to attack him. So one by one, we just attacked him and wiped him out. And he was like, this doesn't feel fair, does it? I said, nah, enjoy watching us for the next three hours, Ron. And so uh, mean, really, just mean boys. But he would invite us around. And, you know, when he told me that Jesus loved me, I believed it. Because all of a sudden, this wasn't a guy who said, well, I have to do it because it's a Sunday and I'm on a rotor. He's like, I've chosen to have you around and open you up and have my life with you. And he didn't feel like he had somewhere else to be and that he could have done other things. And I'm sure he could have done many other things with all of his family and stuff. And so the kind of challenge for our time is, you know, who are we with? Who's welcome in our life? Who do we go to? And I know that sometimes Lindsay and the young people actually what they need is probably just time with me. They don't need another plan. They don't need another program. They don't need me to fix anything. They just need time. And what happens is I have the challenge of I've got to write this study. I've got to plan this. I've got to do all this. And I know that sometimes what I'm saying is that the tasks that I have in front of me are probably worth more than those people around me. And that is a horrible thing to sit and think and think, oh, man. And I know it's not true, but you know what? This week I'm going to face that challenge and say I haven't got time because I need to get this thing done. You know what? The thing that Lindsay always tells me, it'll get done. And she's right. But in the moment, I think, yeah, but I can't. And actually, we need to say, God, will you help me to not be afraid and just actually give people uh, that time? So Barnabas, he stayed uh, a year. And the final thing we've got is words. Uh, so we, um, yeah, the words that we have. And so um, that, those verses in 11, to 22 to 24, Lindsay's got them up there. It says that Barnabas encouraged them all to remain true. Um, but there's another bit in the Bible, which I haven't got the verses for, in Acts 9, before all this. Um, and so Saul, who was this guy who's been persecuting the church, becomes a Christian. And then he goes to see all the church in Jerusalem. And they are not having it. They are like, we do not trust this guy. This is a trap. He's a spy. He's obviously just kind of trying to infiltrate us and kill us. You know, we've all seen movies. That's what he's going to do. And so in Acts 9, it says this. It says, Saul came to Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and the Lord had spoken to him, and he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas stood there and used his words and said, no, this guy's all right. And he stood up for him, and it was because of that that we have the apostle Paul, who wrote basically like half of the New Testament. And so it's because one guy stood up and said, no, he's on the level. You know, you've got you to believe me on this. And we need to be generous with the words that we have, whether that's encouraging, whether that's speaking for the truth. How can we use our words to give that little bit more? I have a, a friend called Mark. Uh, there he is. Uh, the young people know Mark very well. They, they've not met him uh, because he refuses to meet them because I have a billion stories about him. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you'll, you'll see. And so Mark... Uh, gave the best man speech at our wedding in America, and he actually produced a map of England and said, just because this is the only question all Americans ever ask me, here's London, and here's where we're from. Just put that to bed, because all Americans ever do, and it's very true. Oh, you're from England. Are you from London? No. Are you from near London? No. End of questions. <laughs> End of qu- you, have you met the Queen? Uh, that, that's about it. That's, that's about the first. Lindsay's shaking her head. Okay, sometimes they ask more. But that is early in the questions. And so he did that. But in his own wedding, 
it's tradition apparently for the groom to say that, to do a toast to the bridesmaids, to thank the bridesmaids, and to say they look good. I've got two nods, so that means it's true. So in his wedding, he said, right, I'm, I'm supposed to toast the bridesmaids and say they look good. So they do. They look pretty tasty. I mean, that's not a great word in your own wedding day, is it? He said, so the bridesmaids, they do look tasty, so we're going to do a toast to the tasty bridesmaids. And all of us were like, what? And so at his wedding, we all went, to the tasty bridesmaids. It's very weird. And those bridesmaids were a little freaked out, including his wife's sister. I was like, what kind of man is, he? is she, like, my sister married? You stay away. You stay away from me, Mark. And so sometimes our words can be weird. And that's fair enough. Um, but Barnabas didn't just encourage these with empty words. And those words mattered. It mattered for standing up for Paul, and it mattered to the church in Antioch. And, you know, I have a box at home that is just a, a shoebox that's just kind of filled with varying things for my life. And the things that are in there that are the oldest things, it's just a small bunch of letters that were written to me when I was 14, 15 by people who would came to my church and wanted to encourage me because I just didn't feel it from anywhere else. And I was like, man, there's people who believe in me. You know, and that is something that I've still got. And if our house was on fire, it'd be outside of Lindsay. The first thing that I would go in uh, and get, I mean, she'll have rescued herself, it's fine. And so, um, and so what we do as a youth we try and write letters to our young people every year, once a year. Just tell them who God is and who and God says they are and who God sees them to be and how much God cares for them. But you know what? If those letters are not backed up by our time and our generosity in other ways, they're probably going to fall short. It needs to be that we give our lives to them. It needs to be that we give more than that. And ultimately, Barnabas is a great guy who knew what it was to give his money, knew what it was to give his time and his words, but we don't follow Barnabas, right? We're not called Barnabasians, thank goodness, right? That's a horrible name, right? And so we follow Christ, you know, and Barnabas followed Christ, and he was just looking at what Jesus did. And so Jesus modeled all this stuff with generosity. Jesus didn't have a lot of money. You don't see Jesus giving money away very often because Jesus knew what it was to not be consumed by money and have very little he knew what it was to just kind of go from place to place. And sometimes, scarily, he knew what it was to rely on others, to actually need the help of others sometimes. And people would give to his ministry, and people would kind of support him and put him up. And sometimes relying on others is really difficult because we want to know what it is to just sort ourselves out. And we know what it is to, to do that. But Jesus was incredibly generous with his time and his words. Uh, one of my favorite stories of Jesus is um, when he feeds the 5,000, and in Matthew's account, it basically says his cousin has just died. And he goes away, and he goes to a quiet place to mourn. And what happens is he goes to this quiet place, and he looks around, and he sees a crowd of people have followed him. And instead of going, oh, man, can we just do this tomorrow? Can we do this? I just need to mourn. He said he turned around, and he had compassion on the crowd. And he taught them. He healed their sick, and he actually gave them dinner, which is above and beyond, right? It's above. He could have taught them some stuff, healed them, and gone, that's enough, go home. But he said, no, these people need some food. And then he went and mourned. It's not that he didn't ever mourn, but he said, you know what? I see the people around me, and they are worthy of my time. And he was so generous with that. And the thing is, in church, we are a bunch of flawed people. And you might think, well, I haven't felt that generosity in church often. You know, I haven't felt people give me stuff or be there for me. And that is, I understand that. We are very flawed. And you might not have felt that from people. Uh, the truth is that the same people who bought me the mobile phone were the same people who said, right, in my house, please don't open the cupboards. Please don't go in the bathroom. It's the same people. You know, so they, you can have people who are really kind to you in some ways and really cause you pain in other ways. 
Because we are a bunch of broken people, yeah. and we might try our best, and we might let each other down. You know, but we don't follow just each other. You know, we look to Jesus. And in the New Testament, it says over and over that Christ gave himself for us. You know, it's not about just giving us money or giving us a gift. He gave himself. So whether we felt it or not, you know, that's what we come to church for, to recognize that Christ, we just did it with communion. Christ gave himself for us so that we could be transformed. And so I'm, I'm going to finish. And I want, you to, I want you to take out, if you've got them, a wallet, a keys, and a phone. I just want you to hold them in your hands. Uh, I won't do it because I'm on a microphone, but they're in front of me, so that's good enough. So if you've got a wallet, keys, and phone, if you haven't got them, then fair enough, just hold out your hands, I guess. But any of them that you do have, I refuse to believe that you haven't got at least one of them. Um, so, yeah, just um, take them out, hold in your hands, and we're going to, uh, I'm just going to do something, we're going to pray, and we're going to go from there. It's rare in a church that I tell the young people to take their phones out. They're very excited around this point. It's normally like, you put it away or I'll hurl it into the sea. It's normally that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, just as we look at those things, there are, they represent, you know, the resources that we have, the places that we would go, the time that we have, and the words that we would speak. And there might be one of those three that really challenges you. You think, man, yeah, I really struggle with that. And I'm just going to pray about those things, because I think we all want to be transformed. We would all love to know loads of generous people, and we would all love to be those generous people, but it's hard. You know, we want to be transformed, and we cannot do it ourselves. So, I'm so as you look at those things, I'm just going to pray for it, whichever ones it is. And so, God, I pray for anybody who's maybe got an unhealthy relationship of fear about any of those things, that maybe we feel that if we invite people in, we might fail, or they might ruin things, or we might not have enough. God, where we have that fear, would you help us to overcome that? God, for those who even can't even imagine how to create margin, we look down the line and think, but we're so busy, we haven't got much. God, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to find that space, to see the needs in front of us and to do it. And God, for, for those of us who have been hurt by people in church who just feel that maybe we've not received, so why would we give? God, I pray that you would heal that pain. God, I pray that we would see that you have given yourself to us, that we would know that deep in us. And God, for anybody who's never known you, Lord, anybody here who doesn't know who you are and has never received you, God, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to them, that you would show them how loved they are and that you are worthy of turning over every element of our lives. God, we don't want to hold anything back from you. We don't want to just keep our own little bit. We want to be your church moving for the things that matter. And so, God, would you transform us, we pray. Amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.